Hey everyone, this is Julian Dragerson, and you're listening to the Clinical Correlation Required Podcast. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Air Force, or any residency program. This is the first real episode of the podcast, so I want to thank you for listening. Hope you're all having a good day. Today I'm going to talk about chest x-ray interpretation. It's an exam that you'll see a lot, plenty of indications for it. Any cardiopulmonary dysfunction, thoracic pain, part of the secondary trauma survey, checking radical placement of invasive devices. Tons of indications, these are just a few of them. So if you're any kind of provider or working in a hospital setting, you're definitely going to be running through a lot of chest x-rays. So some of the resources I use to bring you this information include the basics of chest x-ray with Felsen's Principles of Chest Rock Genealogy. It's a Ben Felsen's classic book. It's kind of a fill in the blank. It really helps you with retention and memory. There's also really good articles on radiologyassistant.nl from the Netherlands. All the lectures on there are free and uh, they're pretty useful. Um, this episode has a lot of influences from both of those resources. So in a non-radiology related uh, section, the pick of the week, which is a term I borrowed from the Curbsiders podcast, if uh, there are any internal medicine people listening, it's a good podcast. I want to recommend the Generation V podcast. The host is this IF. BB pro bodybuilder named Nimai Dogado. He is a good dude, he's got an interesting story, and he has usually pretty interesting guests on board. They talk about fitness, uh, spirituality, well-being, uh, health, that kind of thing. Usually guests are pretty interesting. So if you want something to listen to while you're in the car, I recommend the Generation V podcast. Okay, let's talk about chest x-rays. So we'll be talking about PA and AP views. These are the essentially the coronal views of the chest. I'm not going to be talking about the uh, lateral view right now. So what's the difference between a PA and an AP? Well, it's all in the direction that the x-ray is shot. So a PA, the x-ray beam goes from posterior to anterior and you are not seeing magnification of the heart, which is closer to the anterior. When you think about x-rays, think about having your finger close to a light source. If you have your finger close to a light source, then the shadow it casts is magnified, and it's not sharp as you look at wherever the light is casting that shadow. But as you get further away from the light source and you get closer to the wall where you're casting the shadow, now all of a sudden the shadow is sharper and smaller and more representative of the actual size of, say, your finger. So the PA, the heart, is further away from the light source, the x-ray tube, and closer to the wall, which is the x-ray film. Um, in an AP, the heart is closer to the x-ray tube because it's in the front of the person and the AP goes from anterior to posterior. So the heart is magnified and it's a little blurry. So the level of detail is not as good and the 
lung vascular markings could appear more crowded. Uh, in general, PAs are preferred to APs. APs are saved for when a person is too sick to go down to the radiology department and take a view. So your ICU crowd or your trauma bay patient might get an AP, but your outpatient radiology or an inpatient who's healthy enough to stand on their own should get a PA. Okay, so when you look at your x-ray, the first thing you should think about is RIP. So RIP stands for rotation, inspiration, and penetration. Rotation is really easy. You can tell if somebody's rotated if the distance between the clavicles is not the same. You should be able to see a vertebral body with a spinous process in the middle, the same distance from either of the clavicles. And that's how you know the person is midline. If somebody's rotated, then all of the mediastinal structures are going to be skewed and things will look bigger when they're really not. You'll miss lesions. Um, essentially, it makes the standard x-ray look non-standard and very hard to interpret. Inspiration, you should have a person be able to take a full deep breath so they can fill their lungs with air and that gives contrast to other structures, essentially. When someone has had good inspiration, you should be able to see about seven to eight ribs above the diaphragm. If you're doing less than seven ribs above the diaphragm, this person has poor inspiration. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't trying. They might not have been told by the technicians to take that deep breath, or maybe they're too sick to take the deep breath, they're altered, etc. Try not to blame the patient. And then finally, penetration. You want to see a vague level of detail of bones through the heart to tell the penetration is over or underpenetrated. If you can barely make out the intervertebral disc spaces in the heart, but you can't really see any of the spinous process or the arch details through the vertebral bodies, then you know the x-ray is adequately penetrated. If you can make out bony details through the heart, it may be over-penetrated. So what does that mean? If something is under-penetrated, everything will look wider and more hazy than usual, which might make you think that the lungs are full of interstitial thickening or edema. Um, the under or the over-penetrated x-ray would be the opposite. Things will look blacker than they should. So you might miss something like interstitial fibrosis or heart failure because the x-ray is Overpenetrated. Okay, next let's talk about a algorithm to read these x-rays. So this algorithm is going to be taken from Ben Felsen's algorithm how to approach the chest x-ray. He used all the many lung lesions, which stands for abdomen, thorax, mediastinum, lung viewed as unilateral, and lung viewed as compared with the opposite lung. I want to modify this a little and say all the many lung lines where the last L is not only comparing with the other side lung, but also remind you to look for all the invasive devices. So this is often the indication for the x-ray and can be very, very important.
So in terms of those lines, things to look for would be things like weighted and non-weighted gastric tubes. The Dobhoff tubes would be like the weighted kind. The traditional NG tubes would be the non-weighted. Endotracheal tubes, tracheostomy tubes, central venous catheters like trialysis, central lines, um, ECMO cannulas, and intraortic balloon pumps, and also things like defibrillators. So let's go through the algorithm. So A, you're looking at the abdomen, and those include the diaphragms. Look at both diaphragms, see is there silhouetting of one or another. We'll talk more about silhouetting in different podcasts, but in general, does the border look like it's no longer sharp? Do they blend in with something like the heart or something like the chest wall? You should have nice sharp borders on both diaphragms from the edge of the cardiophrenic angle to the costophrenic angle. Looking underneath the diaphragm, do you see air underneath the diaphragm, especially on the right side by the liver? Because that's grossly abnormal. Think about bowel perforation, or maybe it's just post-surgical expected. And on the left side, you should see a stomach bubble. On either side, you should be able, you may see air within the large bowel, either the hepatic or the splenic flexure, and that can be normal. And then also look for dilation of the bowel or the stomach. General rules are something like large bowel can be up to six centimeters before it counts as dilated. Small bowel can be up to three centimeters. You can use a little ruler device on your packs to check. Uh, once you get an idea of, especially if you're the primary clinician taking care of them, you can pretty much tell that a person's belly is distended. And even if they don't exactly meet those criteria, you can uh, follow a trend. This happens a lot in the ICU. And then make sure that the feeding tubes are where they are supposed to be. So you have enteric tubes either finishing in the stomach or if they're supposed to be post-pyloric and you're feeding the patient, make sure that they're on the right side of the spine, showing that they're all the way uh, into the duodenum. Some of the feeding tubes go all the way to the jejunum, so if they go to the right side and they make switch back and go on the left, then I mean, that should be fine, too, just depending on where you're trying to place it. Okay, so that's A. Let's talk about T, thorax. So thorax is all the bones and soft tissue of the chest X-ray and abdomen. So you're looking at spine. You're looking for gross abnormalities, fractures. Uh, you're looking for changes in the pedicles. Um, you're looking for vertebral collapse. Um and uh, hyperdensities in the spine or lucencies like metastases or destructive lesions. Look at the clavicles, look on both sides. Uh, again, fractures, bone lesions, um, erosions, uh, particular types of arth- arthritis will uh, have clavicular erosions like hyperparathyroidism, classically it loses the distal clavicles. Look at the scapula. Um, High energy trauma can fracture the scapula, uh, and just make sure that both of them are where they should be. And of course, at the glenohumeral joint, 
um, getting an idea of where the humerus is in relation with the glenoid fossa, looking at the humerus for dislocation or fracture, um, essentially anything that is in the field of view you're responsible for. So uh, while we talk about a, a method of uh, doing all the many lung lines, you just need to put your eyes on every part of the chest x-ray while you're thinking about what you're looking at. Um, so you can make sure you've mentally checked off everything. Then also remember to look at the breast shadows if it's a woman or if it's a portly gentleman. Um, they can make the one side of the chest look more loosened or more dense depending if someone has had a mastectomy. Um, look and compare the expansion of ribs on one side compared to the other. Is there crowding of ribs on one side and kind of give you a sense that a lung is uh, hypo or hyper expanded. Um, and again, overlying soft tissue can make the lung look wider than it really is. Uh, classically, you can have a, a condition known as Poland syndrome. A person doesn't have a pec major, and so one side of the thorax looks hyperlucent, but they may be missing a clavicle, or and you might just see uh, loosened on one side, but they don't have a pec major, and so the lung looks more loosened. That's why. Okay, so we've covered um, all the, now we're on to many. Many is M, and that's for mediastinum. So now you're looking at the great vessels and the superior mediastinum, basically everything above the clavicles, and the heart borders itself, um, the several parts that make up the heart border as well as the trachea, the esophagus, the ascending and descending aorta. So as we track with the um, borders that make up the mediastinum, going off on the patient's right-hand side above the clavicles, you'll have things like the brachiocephalic veins and the common carotid arteries coming together um, the brachial phallus will form the superior vena cava. As you move further down, you'll have the right atrium. The ascending aorta also arises off the right side, so it overlies those structures. And the uh, right ventricle as well will start to overlie the right atrium. So then as you move on the bottom of the heart, it's mostly the right ventricle that makes up the real anterior border of the heart, and as you get onto the far left side of the heart, you've got the left ventricle making the uh, far left border, and as you trace the left ventricle up, you'll get the um, the oracle of the uh, left atrium that will show up as a little bump, and then the next bump will be the main pulmonary artery, which will then take you into a divot which will be uh, the aortico-pulmonary window. And then the next big bump is the aortic knob. And then once you get past the aortic knob, you have a repeat of the left side with the brachiocephalic veins, the clavian artery, the common carotid artery, as they all send up. Um, there's a lot of overlapping structures. Another uh, structure that you'll see uh, besides the trachea and the main stem bronchi in the center, you'll see the descending aorta as it hugs the spine. And then just to the right of the descending aorta, you have the 
azigo-esophageal recess, uh, where the azigous vein and the esophagus uh, make a little border between each other with the intervening um, lung space. So there's there's a lot going on, um, and especially if you have lines and drains moving through this area as well. Uh, once you're looking at the airways, the trachea, the main stem bronchi, you may have an ET tube. Generally, you want this place between the middle of space between the carina and the clavicles, or you could say three to five centimeters above the carina, um, as well as uh, central venous catheters. Generally, you want these to end in between the superior vena cava and the right atrium. So if they go all the way down to the right ventricle, they may be a bit too far. Um, you want to look out and make sure that central venous catheters don't ride up into the internal jugulars. And then you can also have things such as uh, aortic balloon pumps. So these are supposed to reduce afterload in patients with uh, cabbage surgeries or with heart failure. And you generally want these to end somewhere between the bottom of the aortic knob past the uh, left subclavian artery and above the left main stem. That's kind of the happy zone where it needs to be. Um, there's also pacemakers. Pacemakers can be uh, between one and three leads. Uh, we'll do another episode on pacemakers because I still need to learn about them. But generally, they end in the right ventricle. You also have replaced uh, cardiac valves, most commonly the mitral valve and the uh, aortic valve, which can also get... Uh, The, uh, I'm blanking on the name right now. The, the tricuspid valve that can also be replaced and rarely the pulmonic valve. You can get a mechanical valve there. Okay. So that's a real brief overview of mediastinum. I mean, there's a lot packed in there. There's a lot of disease process that you can talk about, but that's in general some of the anatomy and some of the things that you should foveate your eyeballs on as you go through them. Okay. So we're through all the many. Now comes lung. And so the idea is to look at each lung individually, looking for any abnormalities, um, densities, reticulation, uh, vasculature that goes past the distal outer one-third of the lung is typically abnormal. Again, you have to take this in the context of penetration. And if you have an underpenetrated lung, it can make everything look really busy. Um, but you're going to look for patterns um, that may uh, suggest consolidation versus um, interstitial thickening. Uh, we'll talk more about those later um, versus other things like pneumothorax, looking to make sure that there isn't a pleural line. Um, and again, checking your costophrenic and cardiophrenic angles to make sure that you're nice and sharp. You don't have an effusion going on. Um, and checking also the pleura, making sure that the pleura looks nice and smooth. Pleural thickenings and calcifications can occur, so that's something to look out for. And pay special attention after you do look at the lungs to check the apices one more time, as well as the uh, basal segments of the lung beyond the diaphragm 
because these are classically where lesions are the easiest to miss since uh, there's a lot going on with bones and with diaphragm that it can make um, an abnormality be hard to detect. So then once you look at lung, uh, the next one is all the many lung lines. So lines is again to double check all the placement of your lines that we already discussed. Um, and then also to look at lungs in relation to the opposite lung, because it can be much easier to see an abnormality if the opposite side lung doesn't look symmetric. So look at the apices of one side and track to the other side, in the middle and in the middle. And keep doing that. Look, make sure your chest tubes are in the uh, lungs, that all the side holes are in the lungs, that uh, the chest tubes are not in the mediastinum, and that they're placed appropriately for where you, what you need them to do, either draining air or fluid. Okay, so to review, we talked a little bit about... Um, the algorithm, how to approach a anterior chest x-ray. So that was all the many lung lines, which stands for abdomen, thorax, mediastinum, lung individually, lung compared to the opposite side, and lines for invasive devices. I want to thank you guys for listening. This is really something that I'm doing to become a better radiologist, to practice teaching, and I hope you got something out of it. If you are so inclined, please find the podcast on iTunes and leave a nice review. I really appreciate it. Uh, it just helps other people find the podcast. And I welcome your feedback, comments, questions. You can email me at ccrpodcaster at gmail.com. 